Lifeway Leadership Podcast Network. This is the Unseen Leadership Podcast, where we explore the unseen stories that shaped leaders into who they are today. If I had never given away power, if I'd never given away influence, if I'd never given away leadership, I think we would have grown to a certain level and it would have stopped. But what I did is I found where I was weak. I gave those jobs, gave those positions, gave those titles away to guys that were really good at it and let them run. And we have grown beyond my ability to lead. We refuted the irrefutable law of leadership. Welcome to the Unseen Leadership Podcast. I'm your host, Chandler Vinoy, here as always with my co-host, Josh Hunter. Josh, you doing well today? Doing well. Just ate a piece of chocolate cake. Boom. Regretting it. <laughs> Told many got a, regrets. Got a <clears throat> chocolate cake cough going on, so, you know, might have to clear the throat a few times. Just a few times. Yeah, doing good, though. Um, I'm really excited today because we have somebody that's invested in my life for many years from afar. His name is Matt Carter, and he is the pastor of Preaching and Vision at the Austin Stone Community Church and is author or co-author of several books, including his latest that comes out this September, The Long Walk Home. Matt, we're happy to have you on. How are you doing today, buddy? Oh, man, I'm good. It's good to be with you guys. I wish I had a piece of cake, but probably better that I didn't eat it. I'd be taking a nap right now. So <laughs> that's yeah. really good to be here. You got it, man. You know, one of the first, uh, I realized a connecting point several years ago, I was watching this video on YouTube of a man catching a bird with his bare hand while he was hunting and realized it was you and just almost fell out of my seat. Can, <laughs> can you tell the audience that story if they don't know it this this far? Yeah. It is, man. You know what's funny before I tell the story is... Um, you know, man, I've written several books. I've, I've gotten a doctorate. I planted a church that's done pretty well. Um, and everywhere I go, nobody knows any of that. Stuff. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, doesn't know my name. Doesn't know Austin Stone, but man, they've watched that stupid quail video. <laughs> Thanks for starting off with that. Oh, so good. <laughs> no, man, I, um, we were, I was, um, filming a video curriculum for Lifeway actually uh, called the real wind I did with uh, NFL quarterback Colt McCoy. It was a men's Bible study. And we thought it'd be cool if we filmed some sort of hunting and fishing videos that, uh, kind of went along with these men's Bible studies, you know, and, and, um, and so we were out at this ranch in Texas and we were filming that with the, with the Lifeway film crew and we had done a quail hunt and, uh, <laughs> And so we were, we were done hunting and we were kind of walking back to the trucks and the trucks were in front of me. And there was one, one of the camera guys that were still filming. It just happened to be filming. It was getting some B-roll of just walking in and this quail jumped up and was flying right at us, but I couldn't shoot because the camera guys were in the trucks were maybe 30 yards in front of, front of me. So I couldn't shoot in that direction and want to kill anybody. And so my cousin, which you can't really see him, he's to the left of the camera. <clears throat> he just, for some reason, he says, catch it. And so just instinctually, I put the the, uh, the shotgun in my left hand and I just put my hand up and just had the, the greatest moment of luck in my entire life. And I <laughs> caught that stupid bird. And, uh, you know, I, I put my hand in the air really high immediately. And if you saw that, you're like, you know, was that just me reacting that I just did something really cool? Well, this little backstory to that, my uncle was to the left of my cousin. And when I was growing up, my uncle and I were, when I was little, we were dove hunting and he shot this dove and it fell to the ground and he caught the dove in the air with his dove vest. And as a little kid, I thought, you know, I'm never going to do anything that cool in my entire yeah. life. 
I'm never going to beat the old man, you know? And as soon as I caught that stupid bird, the first thing that went through my mind is I just beat the old guy. I just caught him. <laughs> and that's why I put my hand in the air. But uh, well, yeah, I, it, was a, it was a cool, cool moment. If you haven't seen this video, just YouTube man catches flying bird with bare hand. It, I just watched it. I just played it for Chandler. It, it's I've so seen it before. Smooth. I've seen it before. I, I'm really, it looks almost fake. It does. Yeah, it does. And you know, when, when you listed all the, the accolades and different awesome things you'll do in life, I compare all that kind of stuff to catching a bird and I'm like, I think I'd catch a bird still. <laughs> <laughs> I, I saw it's the pages. It's, it's on the Austin stone YouTube page, right? Oh, is it? I don't know. I, I was going to say like, did that, do you ever have people be like, yeah, we heard about Austin stone from watching the viral YouTube video. You every, yes, absolutely. That is so funny. Man, and you know, what's funny is I, I for fun now, cause it comes up on uh, Instagram a lot, like as a meme and different, you know, different, um, Instagram channels will pick it up and I'll go on there and troll people because they'll be like, it's fake. And I'll just go in. They don't know who I am. I'm like, it's not fake. You're stupid. You know, that sort of thing. Let's get on. That's this. so good, yeah. man. We could talk about yeah. this for, for all, a long time, but thanks again for joining us on the podcast. We're excited to, to hear about your leadership journey. So let's start out with the first question. Can you walk us through a quick overview of the different leadership roles you've been in over the years that led you to where you are today? Yeah, man, I started off as a, as a junior high youth pastor at, at sort of a larger church. And, and from there, I went to a, kind of a lead youth pastor at a medium-sized church. And so went from kind of being the second guy to maybe the, the lead guy of a particular ministry. And then from there, I became a, an associate pastor at a larger church. And, um, and then, and then planted the Austin Stone in 2002. And so I was a, a lead pastor of a really tiny church, a, a church plant. And then, and then it's grown, um, over the years. And so, um, and I was lead pastor of the stone until about 2009. And then when I began to sort of speak and lead at different places outside the church, I needed someone to run the day-to-day -day operations of the Austin Stone. And so I gave the title of lead pastor to a friend of mine named Kevin Peck, who's, who's brilliant and written a, a book with Lifeway actually. And, yeah, and so now, he's been on the podcast. That's right. And, um, and I, so now I function as pastor of preaching and vision. And, and, and what that means is I do a lot of preaching and I'm kind of the utility guy. I just go around everywhere and, and, uh, try to get people to listen to me. But, uh, that's kind of the, that's kind of the path of leadership I've, I've taken. So I've done a little bit of everything from little churches, smaller staff to larger churches, large staff, done a little bit of everything. Can you walk us through a little bit? I know you said, and it was Oh two is when you planted the Austin stone. Is that correct? That's right. It was 2002. So from there, what did the journey of growth look like? And not just for the church, but for your leadership as well. Like you question. start out as the lead pastor. It's like you said, it's a smaller congregation, a smaller church. And then when the growth came, what did that look like for you? And of course, I think something from afar I've seen well is the delegation of leadership from you all. I think there's something in that story that we could all learn from. Yeah, I think what you said is, is key. Um, you know, the delegation of leadership. And so when, when I first started the church, I sort of fell into one sort of different aspect of leadership than a lot of guys do is I, I decided from day one that I want to have a multi-teacher model. Um, that I didn't want to be the only guy that preached. And I like to preach. I love preaching. God's gifted me at it. But, you know, I didn't want the church to be built upon me. 
Um, I didn't want Hmm. the church to be built upon my personality. And I had just, I mean, when I was making this decision, I just heard a sermon on, um, out of Corinthians where Paul says, you know, some guys are into Paul and some guys are into this and that, and we need to be into Jesus. We need to follow Jesus. And I thought, what if we set that up at the Austin stone where people aren't following an individual or individual personality, but we really did put Jesus at the front of this thing and try to get people to be drawn to him. And so, um, Mm. from day one, we've had a couple of different teachers at the Austin stone. I preach about 60% of the time. And, and the, and the role and the change of lead pastor too, uh, was, was a, a big journey for me. You know, at, at the very beginning of the Austin stone, we were staff led and, and I was the lead pastor and everything kind of ran through me. But, um, you know, one of the things that, that I realized pretty quickly is, is that I have limitations. There's things I'm good at and there's things that I'm not good at. And so I thought, what if we, we brought people around me and, uh, we, we got a group of people together that were good at the things that I'm not good at. And I actually let them lead that I actually give away <laughs> power, um, and give away influence, um, and let them kind of spread their wings. And, and, and what I found is, um, I don't know if you guys remember this, but back in the day, <clears throat> excuse me, um, John Maxwell wrote a book called the irrefutable laws of leadership. And one of the irrefutable laws of leadership was the law of the lid. And and the whole idea behind the law of the lid is that an organization will only grow to the level of the capacity of the senior leader. So however good you are as a senior leader, that's as high as your your, um, organization is going to be able to grow to. Well, I've sort of refuted the irrefutable law of leadership because what I've done is I'm not that great. I'm not the greatest leader in the world. I'm decent. If I had... If I had never given away power, if I'd never given away influence, if I'd never given away leadership, I think we would have grown to a certain level and it would have stopped. But what I did is I found where I was weak. I gave those jobs, gave those positions, gave those titles away to guys that were really good at it and let them run. And we have grown beyond my ability to lead. We refuted the irrefutable law of leadership. And on top of that, guys, I've been able to keep really good leaders because of it. You know, I've had buddies over the years that were lead pastors and they just couldn't give influence and power and authority away. And so they had to be the guy that everything came from. Well, if you have an A type leader, if you have a a solid, amazing leader, he's not going to stay in that organization for very long. He's got dreams. He's got things he wants to do. He wants to lead too. If you never actually let him lead, he won't stay long. And so I kind of stumbled into it, but it's worked really, really well. That's really good. Can you tell us about a pivotal moment? Uh, that you look back on in your life that changed your leadership <clears throat> or changed your leadership in life? You know, man, this, that's a great question. And, and just right off the top of my head, I think one of the, there's a couple, I could talk about cancer. I think that changed me personally. I think it changed the urgency mm-hmm. with which I, I led, <clears throat> excuse me, but I want to talk a, a little bit different sort of seminal, seminal moment in my leadership early on in the early days of my church plant, I was really passionate about getting people on mission. And I was really passionate about authentic Christianity and people really living the the Christian life in a real and authentic way. And, and back in 2002, there was a lot of those churches that were super seeker friendly. You had Willow Creek, you had Saddleback, you had North Point, which are phenomenal churches. But the whole idea behind them was was, Hey, we want to, we want to reach lost people and we want to do everything we can to reach lost people. But I sort of approached it a different way. I thought, man, I really want to disciple Christians and I want to raise up Christians and make them stronger and equip them for the work of the ministry. 
And that's sort of how I modeled the church after. And so in the early days of my preaching, in the early days of my leadership, I really drove people hard. I really challenged them. I was harsh at times. Um, I, I was really prophetic, for lack of better words, in my preaching. And, um, and man, I sort of noticed after seven, eight years that we were growing, but we were burning people out. We were burning out leaders. Mm. We, were, we were burning out um, uh, people in the church. And I just had a moment where I realized, you know, I, I think it's great to call people to mission. I think it's great to challenge them to live on mission for God and get in a fight for Jesus Christ. But I need to be more pastoral. I need to center my ministry around the gospel and I need to love people well. And so that they're getting healthy and they're staying healthy, why I'm challenging them to live on mission. And so I think my preaching and my leadership is much more pastoral now. I'm caring more about people's hearts and their health than I am getting them, the, uh, you know, getting them in the fight, so to speak, uh, to change the world for Jesus, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And Matt, I do want to ask a follow-up on that. Something that in, in our our own church right now is we're really talking about this living on mission type of thought process. And I think you guys do this, uh, like, as you said, it's a heartbeat of the Austin stone. So for, for the young leaders who are on staff at a church, but also for those who are not in uh, pastoral ministry or, or on staff at a church, how would you tell them as a Christian leader to live on mission where God has placed them? I think that's a good follow-up question. Yeah, I think, I think the first step is to realize that, that you have the power to do it. I think, um, you know, we, we grew up in a generation where folks just were told that they need to come to church and that the, you know, the guys like us that are on the stage, they're the ones doing the ministry, um, that they're sort of the professional ministers, so to speak, and people come to church and, and they consume from the so-called professional ministers and then go live their lives. And that's really not biblical. I mean, the scripture is pretty clear that it's our job as pastors and teachers and leaders to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And so one, they need to know that God's called them to it. And two, like I just said, they need to know the power of that. In Ephesians 3.20, Paul says, and you guys know this, he said, now to him who is able to do exceedingly and abundantly more than all that we can ask or think of according to the power that is at work within us. And the, you know, there's a couple of things in there that are critical for us to know. First thing it says that God is able to do something. He's able to do something exceedingly and abundantly more. That's a lot. And then, and then Paul says two things that all that we can ask of and all that we can think of. And so just that average everyday person sitting in the pew, whatever they could think of or whatever they could ask of God that they could do in their lives that he could use them for, God's able to do that. And then he goes on and says, according to the power at work in us, he doesn't say the power that at work in John Piper or the power at work in Beth Moore, or the power at work in Matt Chandler, or David Platt. He said the power at work in us. And so the everyday person that's coming in the church, I think they don't remember and think about the fact that they have the power of the resurrection inside of them, that they have the power that rose, uh, rose Jesus Christ from the grave living inside of them. And so from the very beginning, what I've tried to do is I've, I've tried to, as a, as a young leader, I tried to remind my congregation of that. I tried to always keep that in front of them, that the power of the Holy Spirit doesn't just live in Christian leaders, it lives in you. And how are you going to unleash that gifting and unleash that power in the place that God has you, whether that's in your neighborhood or your home or your business office or in Afghanistan for crying out loud, but get in the fight, you have the power to do it. So we challenge people to do it, we call them to it, and then we equip them to do it. And that really is the sort of the foundation of how we do ministry at the Austin Stone. I love that, Matt. Well, moving on to the next question. I know that through, throughout the journey from 02 till now, there were probably some mistakes along the way that you learned from. 
What would you say was your biggest mistake as a leader getting started? Oh man, this one's easy. <laughs> and this is for this is for all you pastors out there. Um, there's two main mistakes I made early on. Number one, as I um, I ordained elders too quickly. Um, we were a we were a church plant and we were super young. We our first core team was about 18 college kids and two couples. And when we when we launched the Austin Stone because Chris Tomlin was our worship leader. He was, his career was sort of rising at that point. No he was pretty clue. Cool. You didn't know that? No. Oh. Wow. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Chris Tomlin actually started the Austin Stone with us. He was with me for seven okay. years. Uh, he left, I think in uh, 2009 to go be with Louis Giglio at Passion City Church, okay. but he was with us for seven years. And so we reached a, a lot of college students, um, Early on. And so, man, if, if back in the early days of the Austin Stone, because we were so young that if you showed up and you were over 30 and you said you love Jesus and you had a pulse, man, I made you an elder. <laughs> and, and dude, I noticed something, guys. I noticed that there were there were there were guys that were faithful and they served and they were amazing. And when they got that leadership title and when they got that power, so to speak, it just messed them up. Mm -hmm. They became critical. They felt like it was their whole goal in life to, to keep me um, from screwing up. And it just got ugly quick. And so we learned early on that, that we needed to be slow to, to lay hands on guys. And I think I've read that somewhere in the Bible, um, but we need to be slow to do that. We need to really take time to assess their character, to assess their hearts, to work with them before we ever give them the title. And then, um, and so we changed that on year two or three. And that was one of the best things we've, we've ever do, uh, done. We've, we've had really good success with our leadership. And so I tell guys all the time, man, get accountability around, get older men around you, let them speak into you, but don't give them the title. Um, and don't lay hands on them too quickly. It's kind of like marriage, man. Once you get in, you're in, it's, it's really difficult mm -hmm. to get out. And so that was the first thing that I, I did wrong. And then the other was, man, when I started the church and I, I've talked to so many guys that have done this planning churches. And when they first go into a staff or become a pastor in a leadership role in the church is guys, I just ignored my wife. Um, I really did. She's a, she has a strong walk with Jesus. <clears throat> so she's the kind of woman that she's going to flourish in the Lord, whether I'm leading her or not, or I'm, I'm loving her well or not. And so, and for several years, I just, I just sort of ignored her. I mean, we got along fine and I just sort of put her, um, a second or third as a priority in my life. And I mean, there was a, there was a time where she walked up to me, it was about, I don't know, 2008. And she's, she sat me down and she'd never complained. And she sat me down and she said, Matt, I just want you to know, I love you. I would never leave you. I would never cheat on you because I love Jesus too much, but I'm not okay with this marriage. Mm. And she just sort of walked me through. She's like, I feel like you're so present with the church, but you're not present with me. She said, I feel like you pursue people in the church, but you don't pursue me. She said, I feel like you care about everybody's walk and with the Lord at the church, but you don't care about my walk with the Lord. And, and, um, and it was just a really a, a pivotal moment in my life that I thought, man, what, what good in the world does it do if we're going to church, but I'm losing my wife. And so it really changed then and there and I made her a priority and, and, um, and, and that was one of the best decisions I ever made when I did that. But it, it was rough there for a while because of the way I neglected her early on. Mm, that's really good. Thank you for being vulnerable with that and sharing that. I'm, I, that's very helpful, especially for young people in ministry, the work-life balance uh, that I'd probably chalk it up to some of that. Obviously it's nuanced specifically with that first example that you gave the, the terminology comes to mind uh, and not saying that this is a, 
end-all, be-all statement or sentence, but slow to hire, quick to fire type mentality. Like we want to be careful how quickly we give power or um, we will always want to empower, but we not want to give autonomous authority or decision-making to young leaders as leadership is a pressure cooker and it takes time to learn and to grow in character. And we've talked a lot about this a lot on the podcast. A lot of leaders are competent, but some leaders still need to grow their character and character is always greater than competency. And so learning how to grow that as a leader is super important. And I hear a lot of that within that first example Mm -hmm. of you equipping young guys to be elders in the church. I've seen that happen a lot in a lot of different organizations. Matt, what book do you wish someone gave you when you were just starting to lead? Man, you know, early on, and um, I, I read a, a book by Keller, and I'm, I'm going blank on the name because it was a long time ago, but I think he he sort of put all the same content in his book, Center Church, and so you can read it there. But just the just the concept of of uh, the church not being focused in on itself, he, he talked about in that book how there's three kinds of churches. There's a church that's sort of just in the city, you know, it's a uh, Church that has programs that people come to it, but they don't really make any sort of impact outside the four walls of the church. He talked about a church that's against the city and, um, you know, that, that they kind of sit up on the hill and we're good and the city's bad and then just stay in the city. They avoid the city. They never engage the city. And he talked about that there's churches that are for the city. And these are churches that they love on their people. They, they worship God. They, they lift high the name of Jesus Christ, but they engage in the city for the good of the city and for the glory of God. And that was, that was just uh, eye opening for me. And, and it just went along with this whole idea of, man, we're calling people to mission, but what does that look like? Where do they engage? And so it was super helpful when I read it later on in my ministry of kind of what it might look like for a church like the Austin Stone to engage the city um, with the primary pur- purpose of exalting Christ, but to do it in a way that we show the city that we love them, that we care about them, that we're here for them, that we're not against them. And we've had some incredible success doing that. I wish I'd uh, read that earlier. Matt, I know when I visited the Austin Stone, uh, I guess it was a year or two ago, I actually got to go to the For the City Center. And I think that's a great example of how you all are uh, practically living out that mission. Can you explain a little bit of the heart behind the For the City Center and how you guys are reaching your city? Yeah, the For the City Center is actually one of our campuses, if you will. And we meet there on Sundays. We have, um, you know, we have our worship services there. But, you know, after reading this book by Keller and this concept of being for the city, we thought, man, what if one of our campuses, we just made it a nonprofit center that from Monday through Saturday, the city used it. Um, and so we did that. We built the building and, and there are, I think, 14 different nonprofits that, that, uh, office there, house there, meet there, everything from food pantries to, um, organizations that are for, um, crisis pregnancy centers. There's, um, there's programs there that meet there that try to get people off the food line. It's pretty incredible. And so just the heart behind it again is we want to be a church that's for our city. We don't just want to come and sing some songs and hear some sermons and go on with our lives, but we want to engage where people are um, so that we have the opportunity to get to know them, to love them well, and to introduce them to Jesus. And so, yeah, it's it's actually in one of the most under-resourced neighborhoods in the city of Austin. And it's just fun to see. It's one of my favorite things to do is when I go over there to that campus and just see hundreds of people of all, you know, socioeconomic demographics and colors going there and, and um, being served in, in the name of Jesus. It's pretty incredible. Yeah. And I think it's a great example for all of us looking in. So thanks for setting that up as an example for us and living out that mission. I really, really do appreciate that. 
Moving on to the next question. What was your biggest misconception as a young leader when you got started? I really, I really thought that every, everybody would like me, (laughs) you know, I, I, I I really did. I, I, I just didn't talk to a ton of pastors that had planted churches and, and, and everybody sort of goes through a honeymoon phase when you, when a, when you plant a church. And so you do sort of go through a phase where you're the new guy in town and, and people are coming and, and everything's good. And I just was not prepared for the hurt and sort of the betrayal that happens that it's inevitably going to happen to every leader. You know, I've had people that were really, really close and really, really good friends that we invested a lot in and they invested a lot in us and spent a lot of time with that through the years have come up and said, you know, Matt, we're leaving the church and here's why we're leaving. It's your leadership or it's your preaching, or it's one of my friends' leadership or their preaching. And I I just was not prepared for the hurt um, that that, for lack of better words, betrayal was going to bring. And so um, church is difficult. It's hard. And and loving sheep is something that when you get into this thing, you got to get into into it for the long haul and you got to realize it's going to be painful. you know, any, any pastor that you talk to for that's been in the ministry for any length of time is going to tell, tell you stories just like that. And I simply was not prepared for it. And so I went through a season that was really difficult after about year five or six where that had happened two or three times. And, and I kind of wanted to get out and just because I was tired of being the, the cause of people's pain and hurt, even though I didn't mean to be. And, um, but, uh, the Lord wouldn't let me leave. Unfortunately, I'm still here, but, um, um, but now I'm, I'm able to just love people well to meet them where they're at. And I don't take it personally. Uh, Rick Warren said something to me years ago one time, and it's been really helpful. He said that churches are kind of like a bus. He said people get on, they ride a while, and, and then, then they get off and, and you can't take, take it personally. And I wish I would have um, heard that and believed that early on. I think I would have saved myself a lot of heartache. That's really good. Thank you for sharing that. Now that you're older and, you know, hopefully more mature, looking back, what are some of the qualities uh, you wish you had had as a younger leader? Um, I would get early on. I mean, I planted the church when I was 27, 28 years old. Um, There were times I'd get angry if things would not go well, if I'd, I'd walk in on a Sunday and things weren't set up right. Um, I wouldn't yell at people, but I would just get really intense and, um, and sort of, sort of, I came out of a military background. I was in the Corps cadets at A&M. And, and so my, my first sort of taste of leadership was in a military environment. And so, man, I just, I sort of transferred that to the church and it just doesn't work. It's just not the way to lead people. And I realized pretty quickly that the best way to lead people is in kindness and gentleness um, and love the way Jesus did. You can still get people to do things right and do it in a way that builds them up and doesn't tear them down. And so that was a significant change for me, just growing in my desire and my ability and my heart to pastor people. And, um, and, and especially in this generation, millennials, man, you can't, you can't lead them by being harsh or, 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 or cracking the whip. You got to lead them by, by having good character and being kind and being gentle and being humble. And that's the best way we could ever lead. And that's the most effective way we could lead really in any culture, but especially in this one. Mm, that's really good. Thank you for sharing that. I, I've seen that, uh, yeah, I've seen that a lot in different areas of my life of, in leadership, Matt. And so I, I can definitely relate to that. I was, I'm wondering, did you, when the, when the room wasn't set up well, when you were first started, did you make them do like push ups and <laughs> run laps and jump, <laughs> jumping jacks? And stuff? Gosh, but, um, 
man, I was just be like, hey, what's going on? Like, who, who messed this up? And I would you'd be like, hey, you know, you've got to get this right next time. And, and, and I just don't <laughs> do that anymore. I'm just, I'm really nice now. And so. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for sharing. Let me, let me ask a follow-up to that. I know, especially in ministry, we want to strive for excellence. And as we are leading others, especially is leading in that you want to see the bar is here, but when people don't measure up to it, and you've, you've spoken into this just a little bit, how do you lead towards excellence with patience and uh, compassion? Okay. Well, I'm a big believer in excellence. We just start off there. Um, I actually did learn that from Willow Creek. When I was really young, I went to a Willow Creek conference and, and that was kind of the main thing that I took away from their conference is the desire for excellence, whether it be in your worship, whether it be in your environments, whether it be in your greeting team, whatever it is, strive for excellence. And the idea behind that is not to look cool, but the idea behind that is to, um, is to take all the distractions away that you can so that people can get their eyes on Jesus. But you know, people are, are not always going to meet it, meet those expectations. And, and again, I, I addressed this before, but I would get frustrated when it wouldn't happen. Uh, I would get upset when it didn't happen. And I just learned to strive for that same excellence, but to, um, to make sure that people were inspired to do the same thing. And when it didn't meet those standards. Um, I was kind and I gently directed them. Now let's talk about that for a second. Maybe, maybe jump into what do you do when a person doesn't meet those expectations? What if you are kind? What if you have led well yeah. and they still don't, um, they still don't cut it. What do you do? And, um, if we've got a minute here, I'll tell you a quick story. Um, Larry Osborne, yeah. which is a pastor, um, on the West coast and has been around forever and ever. I was asking him that question. I had a guy that was a pastor earlier on in the, um, in the Austin stone. And, and early on, he was a rock star. He was an incredible pastor. People loved him at 200, 300 people. You never heard a negative thing about him. He was, he was literally a rock star, but I loved him. And then when we got to about five, six, seven, 800 people, I started hearing more and more complaints about him and, you know, saying, Hey, he dropped the ball here. He dropped the ball here. And I would come to him. I tried to teach him, correct him. He was still making these mistakes. And so I asked Larry Osborne about it. And Larry very quickly said, man, that's a rate of speed issue. And I said, what do you mean? And he said, well, he said, different cars were created to run at different speeds. He said, if you've got a Volkswagen Beetle, it was created to run at 65 miles an hour. If you, if you start driving at 75, 85, 95, hundred, it starts shaking. It wasn't created for that. In the same way, they're Ferraris, you know, they're created to run at 120. When you're going 55, you're just upsetting it. And he said, look, God made people the same way. There are some people that are going to flourish at 300 people. There's some staff members that are going to flourish at 5,000. It doesn't mean they're better or worse. They're good. They're bad. God, God just created them different. And so if you have a guy that is encountering a rate of speed issue, that's growing past his ability, you train him. If it doesn't get better, you move him laterally, you know, try to find him a different position. Try to find some place where he can flourish, where he can run at a greater rate of speed. And if that doesn't work, then you probably need to move him off the team. But be slow when you do it. Be careful when you do it. Be kind when you do it. Um, but that's a lesson that, that I've learned. And um, it's, it's been definitely true over the years. That's a very helpful, the rate of speed. And that also takes self-awareness from that yeah. leader to say, to see that. So I think we should all, even if we're in that position, be looking, what is my rate of speed? Where do I flourish um, in, in my leadership. So that's a great, thanks for sharing that story. Now let's move to the quick hitter questions here. These are going to be short one okay. minute answers. So the first one is this, Matt, what is your ideal daily routine? So what time do you wake up, get into the office, exercise, all that good stuff? 
So man, I usually get up in the morning about six thirty, seven o'clock. I try to spend a little time with the Lord. Um, and then I, I typically do sermon prep in the morning. And so from um, on days that it won't, we don't have staff meetings, I'm working on a sermon from nine till about noon. I don't uh, work past that because my brain doesn't work very well. Past about lunchtime, usually go to lunch with somebody, um, somebody on my team or somebody that I'm, I'm wanting to meet with. And then the afternoons is meetings. I usually do meetings till about 3.30 or 4.00. Um, I typically try to exercise in the afternoon and be home by about 5.30. And then um, I try to be home at least four nights a week, five nights a week, be there with my family and uh, family time in the evening. But that's my that's my ideal day. So where does coaching football fit into all that for you? Usually. Uh, so I started coaching football about seven years ago. My son's school started when when they were in junior high and uh, got after their junior high eighth grade season. I got promoted to uh the varsity offensive coordinator, which was crazy. And we ended up winning state and I got hooked. And so <laughs> uh, we, uh, I usually that's in the afternoon. And so when I say exercise, what I mean is I'm coaching football from yeah, four yeah. Six, and, um, and that's, that's, uh, do a lot of that during the fall for sure. Uh, you, you tasted the, the sweet taste of victory. If you just you, you come back <laughs> for would, more, I would quit ministry tomorrow. If I can make a living football. I'm sorry, Jesus, but it's true. Oh, that is so good. Uh, what's your favorite personality test, Matt? I actually like unique design. Um, have you heard, you guys heard of that? Somebody, somebody else mentioned that on here. I think I, they did. I don't remember who, but let's just pretend like we have it. What is that, Matt? <laughs> it's the one where it's like, a persister, um, harmonizer, catalyst. It's got those things. The persister is somebody that's got to be right all the time, sees details. The catalyst is a guy that likes to get things started, but it's not good at, at finishing tasks. You've got the harmonizer that wants to make everybody happy. Um, what's the one that's famous right now that everybody's doing? The one, <laughs> one through nine? The Enneagram. The, I hate the Enneagram. I think I'm the only <laughs> I mean, I'm the only person on planet earth. I don't like it. I don't get it. I, none of those fit me. I don't, maybe, I don't know. I don't like it. It's called unique design. I think it's really, really good. Check it out. What is, uh, what is your design? Which one do you identify with? I'm a persister. And so I'm, I'm, you know, you remember me saying, I, I get mad when I went in and something would be wrong yep. in the worship center. That's me. Yep. I walk in and I just notice details really, really quickly. And, um, and so it's the kind of person that, uh, sort of knows how they want things. They notice detail and they want it to be right. And so that's kind of a persister. That's awesome. Do you guys go through that with your staff? Or? Yeah, we've done all of them, man. We, we, we definitely utilize. Except the Enneagram. Uh, except the Enneagram. I hate that one. <laughs> no, they, do it. they just don't care what I say anymore. So they, they do. <laughs> um, but yeah, we, we go, we actually do personality inventories now when we're hiring people. I think that's a critical yeah. part of hiring somebody to know where they're coming from and what's the best way to lead them. Agreed. What is an unusual habit that helps you in your leadership? Mm. Unusual habit. Man, I don't know if this, I don't know if this is unusual, but I think this might be helpful for some preachers out there. But I, I noticed years ago that I would, you know, I'd start working on a sermon, say about eight o'clock, seven 30, and I would work, I'd go to lunch, I'd come home, I'd keep working on it. And what I sort of noticed is that about 12, 31 o'clock, I'd be working on that sermon and I would spend two hours on a paragraph and, it, and I'd get done and it would just stink. It was horrible. And I would get up the next morning at seven o'clock. I'd look at that paragraph, I'd erase it and I'd write that same paragraph in 12 seconds and it would be great. And so it just sort of <laughs> dawned on me 
later in life, I was like, my brain shuts down at about noon. And so I don't care what's going on. I don't care if I'm cruising. I work on my sermon from when I get up until lunch and I walk away from it. And I don't, I just do. I never, ever, ever work on sermons in the evening. That's how God wired me. That's how my brain works. So that's a, an unusual habit. I think that I've, I've learned the way I'm wired, what's best for me. And it's worked really well. How long does it take? Like how many hours per week does it normally take you to sermon prep? When I was younger, it took about 20. Um, I, I care deeply about it. I want to do as good a job as I can. I want to present my people something precious when I preach. But man, I've been doing it for 25 years now. It, it comes easier than it used to. Mm-hmm. I know the Bible better. Um, I know how to write sermons more quickly. And so it's probably between 12 and 15 now. That's cool. awesome. What is your favorite app on your phone? Favorite app on my phone. Can I look real quick? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> what is on my phone? Well, what apps do um, I have? Man, my favorite app is um, my favorite app is it's called Follow Track, and um, and in that you can see who unfollowed you on Instagram, and um, <laughs> and so I'm kind of an approval guy. You know, I told you I, it, it shocked me that people were mean to me, so I love to go in and unfollow people that unfollowed me. And so that's probably my favorite one. Well, I'll tell you what, Matt, since you're approved, I'm going to look you up on Instagram. You're, you're about to get two follows. I'm going to, oh, I already follow you. See, I support you, Matt. Don't already. you dare unfollow him. He's going to know. Yeah, I'm going to unfollow <laughs> you so you see I it now. a huge impact uh, through my feed there that, that she didn't even know you followed me. That's- <laughs> <laughs> oh, it, it was so affirming, good. then turned to unaffirming. <laughs> Sorry about that. Can I give you a quick one real, real quick, another one? Yeah. Yeah. There's a really cool app called Game Changer that's a baseball app. And my, my sons play, you know, baseball for the for junior high and high school. And so when I'm traveling at conferences, I can actually watch their games. It's animated. But when my son's up to bat, it actually says his name. He's at home plate. It tells me where it tells where he how many strikes, how many balls, where he hit the ball. It's called Game Changer. That's really cool. I can watch baseball games that's a cool. lot. I'm not that's there. That's cool. That is that is really neat. Um, what has been the best book that you've read in the past six months? best book I've read in the past six months. Um, Tony Maruta's Christ-Centered Expositor is probably the best book I've read in the last six months. It is the, I, I got my doctorate in expositional preaching. And so, man, I had to read every book that's ever been written about preaching. And that's the best. He, uh, he does such a phenomenal job of really clearly showing guys how to structure a sermon. But at the same time, he, he does a great job of diving into the heart of the preacher and being a man of character. And it's just a great book. It's Tony Morita's Christ-Centered Expositor. Yeah, I'm actually reading that right now. I'm taking a class through my local church and that's one of the assigned, I'm taking a Bible exposition class. That's one of the assigned readings. There's a lot of helpful content. We need to get Tony on here We do. Well. And actually, I want to, if you're listening to this and you're like, hey, I want to learn more about that. Uh, we actually do have a free ministry grid course on that. So you can go to ministrygrid.com, go to free seminary training. And Tony Marita has put together a course that is free on that. But also yeah. pick he's up the book. It's a great sharp. book. Yeah, Tony is really Tony sharp. Tony was my professor um, at South oh, cool. Preaching okay. and he's the best. And so, I, yeah, that'd be awesome to do. That's awesome. Well, Matt, last question and it's my favorite one. What one sentence advice would you give someone going into a leadership position for the very first time? And this is going to be simple, but I would say always stay in love with Jesus. You know, just keep um, keep your heart close to him stay emotionally in love with him and everything else will take care of itself. Awesome, man. Thanks for, thanks so much for this today, Matt. It's been, I felt pastured a lot during this conversation, very pastoral conversation. You can definitely feel that through every single one of your answers. So 
Really do appreciate it. And thanks for joining us on the podcast today and sharing about your leadership journey and your time as a young leader. And thank you for listening today. We hope that this has been helpful. And if it has, head on over to iTunes and leave us a rating and review so that another young leader like yourself can find the podcast. Thanks for listening. See you next week. See you.